The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. Greetings, Memphis football fans. Welcome to the latest edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I am your interim host once again, Jason Munns. I'm the Tiger basketball beat writer for the Commercial Appeal, and I am joined by the Commercial Appeal's Tiger football beat writer, Evan Barnes. And uh, we are here to discuss the latest and greatest in Tiger football news and notes. Um, Evan, how are we? How are we doing? Well, you and I are pretty good. Um, I don't know if we can say the same for Memphis football right now, heading into their their open week. I, I always say bye week, but as Gene Otto reminded me when I got here, coaches call it the open week. So we won't call it a bye, we'll call it the open week. Yeah, but it's right. uh, a big but, thing for Mark. Yeah, Mark Mark loves that. And out of, out of respect for our new papa in the group, we will say the open week. But yes, I'm doing well. You seem like you're well. Memphis football, on the other hand, uh, not so I much. Am, I, I am well, Evan, and, and we'll keep this short and sweet and get it out of the way. My condolences to uh, your Dodgers. Um, the the World Series. We're recording this on Tuesday, October twenty sixth. The World Series begins today. Uh, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be fun again. My condolences. Yeah, Just injuries, not- man. Injuries. It, and that's a perfect segue into uh, uh, <laughs> this Tiger football team. I mean, the Dodgers. Between what Clayton Kershaw, David Price, uh, uh, Dustin May, way back in the way back in the early part of the season, Justin Turner pulls a hammer. Um, who who else? There's like a bunch of others, right? Now, I mean, Max Scherzer basically had a dead arm and couldn't pitch Game Six. Right, Max Scherzer. Um, gosh, I swear there was like a couple of others. Uh, oh, Max Muncie. Yeah, Muncie got hurt right before the, in the last game before the playoffs. So I mean, just. A whole lot of injuries piling up at the wrong time, and the Dodgers honestly gave it a great battle. So good luck to your ATL squad in the World Series. First time since '99, right? First time since I since I was a, uh, a freshman in college. Um, that was my that was that October of 1999. I was a freshman in college, so um, it's been a minute, as the kids say. Wow! Uh, since since the Braves were in the World Series, but. Uh, uh, you know, the nineties, I got a little spoiled, I got a little spoiled <laughs> being a Braves fan, but, um, I digress. Yeah, no, the injury bug hit the, uh, boys in Dodger blue, just like they have the, um, boys in Memphis tiger blue. Uh, but, but let's start by recapping the UCF game. I mean, it, it, it all kind of works hand in hand here. Um, it was the first game without Seth Hennigan, quarterback, Seth Hennigan, who uh, what what uh, talk to us about what what his uh, injury sure. is? So we basically watched during warmups, um, and Seth Hennigan was out there. His 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 lower arm was 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 wrapped a little bit tight, and you could tell that he just could not throw the ball. Um, Peter Parrish was throwing the ball downfield, looking normal. Seth Hennigan was doing drills instead of throwing. He would tuck and run. He'd go through his progressions. He step, look, tuck and run. Um, we found out after the game, Ryan Silverfield detailed to us that it is a shoulder injury on his throwing shoulder, his right shoulder. Um, that's what kept him out. 
Um, as of Monday, he told us that Hennigan will be limited in practice this week, and hopefully he can go against SMU in two weeks. But right now, you know, it's a little bit tricky. But, yeah, Hennigan basically could not throw the ball downfield, and he was dressed, but there was no way that he was going to play. And if Silverfield's number one rule was to be, was to be upheld, he wouldn't put a, a young man in harm's way. So for people that people ask me during the game, well, why is Hennigan dressed? He looks fine. I'm like, he looks fine, but if he was fine, he'd be playing. And he probably was dressed as, you know, show support and everything else, which I give him credit for. But but that young man was not going to play football on Friday. So that's there, what's going there on. Was probably, there was probably some gamesmanship in there as well. You know, you're not trying to tip your hand. Uh, give UCF any advantage, um, you know, any advanced knowledge of uh, uh, of the fact that it was going to be Peter Parrish at the quarterback position and not Seth Hennigan. But, um, but yeah, uh, it ended up being Peter Parrish and um, things, you know, it, it looked, it looked like, I mean, you know, no, nothing, nothing against Peter Parrish, but it looked like the, I mean, what is he? The third is he the third? I guess he'd be considered the fourth string. He was the, he was the fourth string quarterback entering um, training camp or preseason camp, and then he became the backup this week on the depth right. chart. So and he was Keelan basically Brown. yeah. So he was third string. Keelan Brown transfers um, during the week. Peter Parrish moves up to number two, and Silverfield told us that after I guess at some point last week he didn't say when, but he sat Seth Hennigan and Peter Parrish down and told Peter, look. You're gonna have to prepare like you're gonna have to prepare like you're the starter. So my gut tells me that based on the timeline, we saw Keelan Brown left on Wednesday leading up to UCF. My gut is there had to be at least some knowledge that hey, he wasn't gonna be part of the program as recently as maybe Monday or Tuesday. So Peter Parrish has been preparing at least most of the week. And Silverfield obviously said it's a game, it was a game time decision. So let's assume Peter Parrish probably had one week to prepare for his first game at quarterback since he was a senior in high school. Um, it went about as well as you thought it would. And again, nothing against Peter Parrish. I thought he did well under the circumstances, but he looked like someone who was playing his first game in three years. Yeah, that's a, a tough spot. Yeah, that's a, t- that's a tough spot for anybody to be put into. Um, uh, and so, yeah, it, it, as you said, it, um, it's, you know, UCF, uh, Got off to a 14 nothing start in the first quarter. Um, and, and you know, Memphis got a touchdown in the second quarter, and then it was it, it was all, it was kind of all UCF at that point, uh, or from that point on. Um, uh, is that, I mean, is that kind of, is there really any, any more uh, of a recap uh, needed for the, <laughs> for how things played out? No, I mean, let's, I mean, what more can you say? I mean, you, it was basically a game with, two quarterbacks not playing well. I mean, UCF rotated two quarterbacks and neither one of them looked really great. They started a uh, true freshman and Mikey Keene, and then they rotated to Joey Gatewood, I believe on the third drive. So they were rotating guys early and they didn't look good either. I mean, that, you, look, Memphis held UCF under 300 yards of offense. You do that, you should win a game. But yeah, but because Memphis had probably one of its worst offensive performances in recent memory, and I'm not just talking like total yards, like there have been games where they've had fewer yards since I've been here, but the last time they had, you know, they had, let me see here, they had 3.7 yards per play. That was the fewest they had since they faced Auburn in the Birmingham Bowl in 2015, um, the end of the Justin Fuente era when he was gone and 
and Mike Norvell, I think, was watching that game in, the, in, the, in a booth to get ready to coach. Um, yeah. So basically, the offense just the offense looked as well as it could look under with a four string quarterback, and it was all UCF. Although UCF didn't really impress either. So to me, I called the game a rock fight before, and it looked like a rock fight, except UCF had two small rockets of big plays that really weren't big plays UCF style, but they were big plays to score, and Memphis just didn't have any of that. So. Uh, yeah, I mean that's really the big the the, the big story here uh, about this you know with this Memphis football team coming off a loss um, is is the quarterback situation. I know that uh, as we discussed earlier, Memphis has an open week this week, uh, two weeks to prepare for. Uh, I guess a little more than two, an extra two weeks and an extra day um, to prepare for SMU. Uh, so I get, I mean you know that's the that's the question is. Again, there's a lot of time between now and the SMU game. Uh, what do you think? Is 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 uh, Seth Hennigan going to be the quarterback for that game, or what are we looking at here? I, I think right now it's hard to say. And I and somebody asked me on Twitter, you know, kind of how serious it is, and I said, you know, I'm I'm not in the habit of speculating on injuries that we don't have much information on. But I will say this: I mean, it sounds like they're gonna have to just wait and see. You know, we're going to see kind of how Seth Hennigan handles the week, you know, how his body heals. Um, Silverfield said that he is not sure what his backup QB situation would be if Peter Parrish had to go. But we know that based on UCF, his options will probably come down to either Hunter Holsey, who is a – I believe he's a sophomore uh, walk-on quarterback. Yeah, retro sophomore quarterback. Or Jeremiah Oatesville who was last seen at Austin P as quarterback in 2020 before he transferred to Memphis as a walk-on and is now a receiver. So at this point, Memphis has right now one healthy scholarship quarterback. And it's almost a place that was the worst case scenario once you had this quarterback battle. Because as you know from covering football, and as most people know, when you pick a quarterback, there's going to be dominoes. And usually what's going to happen is somebody's going to leave. So you start with four quarterbacks. You have Grant Gannell and Seth Hennigan leading your race. Gannell gets hurt with that injury that we now know is a season-ending injury, out of your control, but that delayed the quarterback battle. And then Hennigan ends up winning it by default because Gannell can't go. And now Hennigan's hurt. Keelan Brown decides to transfer. So now you basically have your worst-case scenario where you're down to one healthy quarterback on scholarship. You have to basically hope your wide receiver who you, you know, recruited as a walk-on can kind of get up to speed really quickly um, just in case, you know, break glass in emergency. Um, at this point, you're just kind of like, this is a situation Memphis has really not been in in a long time. I think I saw um, one of our colleagues, Frank Murtaugh, brought this up, but I think Memphis has not had to go to a backup quarterback, I think, since 2012, I think, before Paxton Lynch took over. So really, they've had a good streak of, of luck with injuries to their quarterbacks. Like Riley uh, Paxton Lynch played all three seasons here. Riley Ferguson started every game. Brady White started every game. Um, so really, they've had a good string of luck with quarterbacks staying healthy. And now, this is really the first time they've had to really kind of um, pr- grip a little bit. Because right now, they're just kind of hoping that Seth Hennigan can get healthy. Because I, I got news for you. If Seth Hennigan can't go against SMU... That game already was going to be a trouble game. But if Hennigan doesn't play, you might as well chalk that game up 
as a loss and say, welcome being under 500 for the first time since 2013. Um, we'll, get yeah. to SM, we'll get to SMU later, but that's what you're looking at right now if Hennigan can't play. Right. And it's going to be tough sledding anyway. I mean, uh, uh, SMU is is undefeated, correct? They're they're a uh, top twenty team and and mm-hmm. have not lost yet this year. But like you said, we'll we'll get to that later. But I I do think what's interesting is that you know a lot of times we wonder, or some people might wonder, uh, or or get tired of the importance or the value that is assigned to the quarterback position. But like this is proof positive right here. Um, of, of exactly how important that position is. Uh, uh, I mean, you, you just brought it up. They haven't had injury issues at the quarterback position for quite a few years, and they've been the best years of this, you know, the best sustained um, success, the most sustained success uh, that this program has had, and now all of a sudden they've got issues at quarterback, and they're not playing. You know, they're kind of back down to earth a little bit. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do think that that's, uh, you know, this just sort of underscores exactly how important that quarterback position is to every team. I mean, you know, Memphis has had injury issues at other positions over these last handful of years, this last half decade or whatever. Uh, uh, the running back position with Patrick Taylor and his injury issues. Yep. Um, they've 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 had guys get hurt at other positions, but never the quarterback position. Now they have Grant Gannell, Seth Hennigan now, and we see we see the the outcome of that. So and 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 to be fair, it's not just the quarterback position that's fighting injuries. You've got offensive linemen who are having you know who who who've gone down the kicking. Uh, the place kicking uh, situation uh, with David Kemp. Uh, oh, we, you know, should, that's... we should also bring up that David Kemp did not even travel for this game. Um, and again, going back to his series of injuries, I don't know if that was more injuries or if that was just because uh, Silverfield right now has, has no confidence in him. But yeah, at this point, David Kemp is clearly not your, your place kicker at this moment. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious to find out, uh, to, to, to find out, uh, like what the what the story is behind that if it if it was injury related or not so um, that's something to keep an eye on for sure but uh, no lest anyone think the quarterback position is not uh, uh, among the most important um, on a football team uh, this is this is another uh, another notch in the in the in the column uh, for you know for the fact that it is uh, so. Um, all right, enough about that. Uh, you wanted to talk uh, a little bit, you know, so Memphis is sitting here four and four um, going into the open week. Uh, they've they've had a lot of issues, right? They've had injury problems. They've had turnover problems, but something else, I mean, a lot of time this offseason was spent sort of, um, uh, you know, trumpeting the influx of mm-hmm. division one transfers. I mean, everybody uh, got happy when it became, you know, uh, uh, legal when it became, you know, when, when transfers w- did not have to sit out a year, they could transfer from one place to another and, and, and were eligible, you know, immediately, immediate eligibility. Uh, and Memphis went hard um, in the transfer portal or, or, you know, not hard, but I guess, uh, uh, they they made 
they they made good use of it. It seemed like in the off season, um, picking up what? How many how many Division One transfers? So I'm looking right now. They have one, two, three, four, five, seven. I believe seven seven transfers from Power Five schools. They picked up guys who played Power Five schools previous year. And how many have played this year? How many have played this year? Well, let's see. Um, Devontae Dobbs and Julian Barnett have played. They both derive from Mississippi or Michigan, Michigan State, excuse me. Joe Doyle obviously has played and has been great as a, great as a punter. Mixed reviews as a kicker. Other than that, that is it. So out of those seven, you have three guys who played this year. Oh, I forgot. We forgot Austin Myers. Excuse me, Austin Myers from TCU. That means you have eight. My apologies. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players who transferred from Power Five schools. And four of them have played this year. Austin Myers got hurt, I believe, against UTSA. But that's where he had a season-ending injury. Grant Gunnell obviously did not play a game this year due to in- a season-ending injury. Um, so of those eight transfers, you have four who played, four who have been hurt. Shamar Nash, um, the local kid from Memphis who um, transferred from Arkansas, he has not been able to practice this year due to injury. Um Greg Emerson, who was the last person to transfer, he was from he came from Tennessee, um, came in right before the start of preseason camp. Silfield told us he is medically disqualified. Now we don't know if that means his it's career ending, but I'm guessing he will not play at all this season if it's a medical reason. So you've had four, you've had half of these transfers get hurt, but at the same time, you also have four of those guys who haven't really played much like Julian Barnett was the talk of preseason camp and the spring because he looked like a dynamic playmaker at cornerback. But after week one, he lost his starting job to Greg Rubin, a true freshman and Rubin has played fairly well. He's been targeted, but he's played, he played well enough to get that spot. Um, Devon Robinson, we haven't really seen much of him and Devonte Dobbs, who we thought was going to factor into the left tackle race has barely played. I believe he's only played one game this year. So you look at that and you say to yourself, um, this is going to be something to watch this offseason. Whereas if Memphis hopes to dip into the transfer portal, um, can we trust them to really go out and get players who can make an immediate impact? I mean, we saw it with Mike Norvell where he was going after junior college players. He was able to develop them. He was able to get transfers like Brady White. Um, but he was also able to get Juco guys who could come in and be contributors. You think of guys like Everett Cunningham, Morris Joseph, um, Antonio Gibson, Antonio Gibson, obviously. Um, Keith Brigham played really well here. So for me, you look at that and say, that's something to watch this offseason because um, Memphis is going to have a lot of players who are graduating this year. And they're going to need some guys who can, you know, get some media help. So you're looking to see, well, can you trust them to find players in the transfer portal? But it also brings up another flip side is that you can't always trust the transfer portal to give you exactly what you hope for. Yeah, it is. It does seem to be a, a bit of a roll of the dice, at least in this short sample, small sample size. I, I, I want to go back to the uh, medical disqualification. I Googled it, right? And mm-hmm. um, I found an article that says a medical, a medical disqualification um, I'm looking at it says that the Ohio University Assistant Athletic Director for Sports Medicine defines a medical disqualification as, quote, when the team physician stipulates that the athlete should not or cannot 
continue to participate for various medical reasons. So I think that's the, uh, uh, you know, that's the, the caveat there. I, 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 you know, I don't, I mean, I, I guess I, st- I guess I still don't know the difference between a medical disqualification and just somebody who's injured and can't play. Um, right. but that is the, that is how this one, uh, sports medicine guy defines, um, defines a medical disqualification. So, uh, I don't know if that cleared anything up. Hopefully it did, but, uh, I'm, I'm skeptical. Uh, hmm. uh, so, uh, <laughs> pivoting off of that four and four, there's four games left on the schedule, right? Yeah. Um, got to get to six to make a bowl game. Uh, so you have to go two and two at least, um, to, to, to get there. If you're Memphis, you, you gotta, you gotta at least win two more games. Um, can they do it? Uh, you know, like, like, uh, what, what are, what are your, I have my own opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd like to know what, what you think, uh, is, is, is going to happen. I, to, for the sake of optimism, what I will say is it's going to take Memphis having to play two really, really good games at this point in the season. They're going to be sharp in all, all three phases. They're going to have to play real, two really good games. And by definition, I guess it's possible, but they're also probably going to lose two games really, really badly. And I think those two games, we can probably agree, SMU is going to be a really big challenge with or without Seth Hennigan. Um, their offense is one of the top offenses in the country. It looks like a better offense in 2019 SMU when they came here. And of course, Memphis was a much better team than that team too, that year too. Um, that's going to be a tough game. Houston at Houston, Houston looks like they're a much more improved team. And Memphis has yet to win on the road in the AAC. Um, I'm going to go ahead and chalk that game up right now as I don't think Memphis can win that game, which leaves ECU and Tulane. And both of those games are tricky. I think ECU, um, you have a quarterback in Holden Aylers who has shown that he can be, you know, he can get the, he can move the ball down the field. He ECU nearly ECU took Houston to overtime this past weekend. Um, in Houston. In Houston. Yeah, in Houston. So that lets you know they're not afraid to play on the road. And so Memphis yep. has to be on their game when ECU comes here on November 13th. Um, so I think that's a toss up. And then Tulane might look like the best possible win because you have an extra day to prepare because Houston's on a Friday. But Tulane is also tricky because they have a decent quarterback in Michael Pratt who played well against Memphis last year. They usually have great guys up front who can create pressure. And, oh, by the way, the offensive coordinator for Tulane, Chip Long, who used to be at Memphis. Um, So that might be a bit of a personal game for him the same way that last year's game was – a bit personal for Will Hall, who was the former OC and is now coaching at Southern Miss. Um, so if you put a gun to my head, I would say six and six is the best case scenario. Yeah, I, I, think I, have, I have doubts. I have my doubts that they can get two, but six and six is the best case scenario, and it might come down to the two-lane game. So that's my long winding way to say I don't know if they can win four. I don't know if they can win three games. I don't even know if they can win two games, but I'm going six and six right now. Uh, Jason, what do you think? I think that East Carolina game is the pivotal, the pivotal game here. And, and I think it, it really all boils down to Seth Hennigan's status. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think they beat SMU with or without Seth Hennigan. Um, 
and so you know that's that's you can kind of you know i don't know if you hold him out in hopes that like like it just it kind of depends on how how ryan silverfield is handling the rest of this season is he going to sell out and try to um try to uh uh just be sure that he gets to a bowl game. Uh, do you hold Hennigan out? Like, even if he's, if he is um, kind of borderline, uh, if he, if he, you know, maybe he's healthy enough to play against SMU, but do you really want him to go out there against SMU and risk uh, uh, not having him for East Carolina, uh, a, a game that's potentially winnable and that, and a game that you absolutely, uh, more than likely are going to have to have to get to bowl eligibility. I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how they play it. I think, I think East Carolina is going to be tough sledding, um, especially coming off the SMU game. Uh, You know, it's not like you're going to, you're not going to be ramping up to East Carolina. You're, you're, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be coming off a really tough, tough matchup. Um, against SMU, but look, they're, they're three of those last four games are at home. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I still, I still think five and seven is, is probably, uh, uh, what it's going to look like. Um, and that, and that also, uh, is going to toast their chances of extending their, uh, how many seasons in a row have they had eight wins, eight wins eight or more? Seven, seven consecutive seasons. Yeah. I mean, I think we can agree that that's, that that's not going to, no, that, that streak is going to end this season. No. So, um, so, one, but I mean, that's why they play the games. Right. And one quick thing we should say about ECU to provide a little bit of hope, uh, ECU's defense, not that great. They're 104th in total defense as of right, as of the day we're recording this, they are also in yards per play. Let's look up how many yards per play are given up. They're 101st in yards per play allowed. So not a great defense, but then again, We've seen that before where Memphis struggles, but that's the big game. You're right. That game is the one Memphis has to win. I think that's the that's the game Memphis has to win. And you bring up an interesting point. If 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 Memphis would basically try to say, hey, we'll chalk up SMU and get to ECU. But the other problem with the, the the worry with that theory is can Memphis afford to basically, for the sake of the fans, can they afford to basically say, hey, we're gonna hold Seth Henning back for this game? Can they afford to basically say, hey, we can see this game right. because right. what you're worried about is, you know, things like attendance, things like program buzz. Because if you remember, or well, I'll, I'll remind everyone, that Navy game, I believe, on a Thursday night had just over 30,000 people there. Um, and now with this SMU game being at 11 o'clock, what you worry about is what's the crowd going to be for that game, especially if the weather is a little bit cool, um, especially if if SMU is, is undefeated. I mean – there may there will be some luster for that game, but you know, will fans be interested? And let's be honest, as the basketball beat writer, you notice as well as I do that um if Memphis decides to basically say, hey, we're gonna hold out Henning and he's not ready, or we're gonna, you know, give him another week, they lose that SMU game, that means more eyes are gonna be turning to basketball. So I think this Saturday, this Saturday game with SMU, if Hennigan can go, you would hope he can. I mean, next Saturday, excuse me, you would hope he can go and Memphis doesn't think to themselves, hey, you know, we're not sure. If he can't go, he can't go. But if Memphis' right. whole strategy is let's save him because this ECU game is probably more winnable, 
that might not look good in the eyes of, you know, at least presentation-wise, what the crowd is going to look like is even more what that crowd is going to look like for ECU, which people really aren't going to be excited for. So um, a lot is at stake these next couple of weeks. And I think, you know, we'll see what happens, but there's a lot of streaks at, at play. Like you mentioned, the eight, the, 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 the streak of winning eight games in a row for Memphis. Um, Memphis, I believe, has won 16 straight games in November. That streak is in jeopardy. So there's a lot that can happen in November. And they always say, you know what, you know, the games you play, remember in November or something like that? I can't remember. But this is going to be crucial. This is going to be a crucial month for Memphis, and there's a lot at stake. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, well, uh, all right. So uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today, uh, Evan. Uh, uh, really appreciate your insight. And, um, and yeah, we'll enjoy the uh, open week. First and foremost, uh, enjoy the open week. Uh, and, and what we'll do is we'll, we'll all enjoy the open week. We'll take a, a breath and uh, uh, relax a little bit. And then we'll, we'll enjoy this nice weather. Uh, the, I think the fall is finally here to stay. Yes. Um, and, and so, uh, and then we'll get back to football uh, next week. So, um, all right, for Evan Barnes, uh, this is Jason Munns. We've appreciated your, uh, your being here with us. Uh, and and uh, again, enjoy the open week, and we'll talk to you again next week. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.